everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, as always, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing great. Uh, having a good time, sitting in my chair. I had to put it slightly lower so I was closer to this microphone, um, and I feel like a wee person. It's great. <laughs> also joining us, uh, not a wee person, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. Uh, just enjoying the shocking nor- normality of hanging out around my house all day. <laughs> Not going out, not seeing people. How's Doggy doing? She's not thrilled. Uh, she wishes she were being taken out more, and she's teething. Uh, so every time I turn oh, around, man. like I hear an odd scraping or like rattling sound, and that's usually her trying to like break a baby tooth off on something valuable and irreplaceable. Yeah, sounds like having a kid. Congratulations. Uh, I guess the 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 positive. Part of all this is that it really is kind of business as usual for this, at least the the technical part of this podcast. Because yeah, <laughs> we're all just recording via via Skype anyway, so <laughs> nothing has changed except I'm not in the studio except anymore. Everything, yeah, and my microphone's probably not as good. So apologies. I will be uh, I will be uh, using a blue Yeti at the moment. I'm, I will be bringing the soundboard back eventually, but just haven't gotten around right to it yet. I did have to go down to the studio yesterday because I thought it was being broken into, um, but it turns out it was just another person in the building was some, for some reason, was moving out. They were moving out of their office to work from home, but for some reason was doing it through our office while wearing a mask and <laughs> carrying equipment out that looked a lot like our equipment. So thank you to the Emeryville PD for coming to the office with me yesterday. Sorry for the false alarm. Wow. Uh, Hey, if you're new to this podcast, uh, a very special welcome. Uh, This is going to be a little different from the normal ones uh, for reasons that uh, I guess are apparent to those listening to it the week or the the months that this goes up. But in the future, uh, all sports are on hold due to the coronavirus. Um, But if you're new to F1 and do want to learn about it um, for when the sport gets going again, Uh, we do have a preseason primer episode that explains all of it from the ground up, uh, assuming no prior F1 knowledge. So if you want to listen to that, it's episode 96. Uh, also, this show is supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shift F1, where uh, every month we release bonus podcasts exclusively for our patrons there uh, that cover racing documentaries and films, primers for other racing series and other weird things. So if you'd like to support the show and get all access to uh, all that, uh, along with early access to the video content that we do on our YouTube channel, head over to uh, patreon.com slash slash shift F1 or click the link in the show notes. Uh, what's been going on this month, Danny? Yeah, we had a bunch of stuff go up. We had, of course, because Bahrain was supposed to be on last weekend. Uh-huh. We had the uh, track walk for Bahrain, um, which was recorded before all of this. So I had to flash up some text at the start of that video <laughs> to be contextualized stuff. Uh, but we also put up a uh, the first of our sort of Let's Plays on uh on racing games up on our youtube channel which is youtube.com slash shift f1 uh, and it was about dirt 2 it was uh, yes. uh drew you were shepherding me through the wonderful world of uh, dirt 2 and i got to finally tell my uh, travis pastrana neighbor story which was great <laughs> uh, so if you're if you want to uh, hear about that uh, go over to like i said youtube.com slash shift f1 they're free to watch all of our videos we I, as well i think I, I think we've had a podcast since but uh, in case you didn't know, all of the backlog of videos we did last year for patrons are all also available to watch uh, up on that YouTube channel, and we don't run ads on anything or anything. So uh, plenty to check out if you are in the mood for some racing action, especially racing video game action. And uh, yeah, we'll have a, 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 a patron-only podcast going up next month 
the the one you're about to listen to is kind of in that format. I tend to host the ones where we're uh, reviewing films or TV series, so I'm going to be doing that once we've gotten through sort of our housekeeping here. Um, uh, and of course, if you are a patron, by the way, you do get access to all of last year's, which a lot of people have been asking about. Because if you're if you're basically hungry for uh podcasting and also maybe podcasts that aren't constantly talking about this thing all the time uh if you become a patron now you'll get access to how many did we do last year like 12 it must have been at least right so 12 or 13 uh reviews of movies and and primers for other seasons so there's loads of stuff there uh thank you to all of the 880 people who are currently uh supporting us on patreon uh we really really appreciate it and we are um, totally down to keep doing this podcast throughout the year, uh, regardless of whatever's going on, because uh, we love racing in every form. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, and as mentioned, the podcast format for the foreseeable future is a little different from what we normally do. So instead of doing the pre-race and post-race episodes, we'll be alternating um, news and uh, user email episodes um, with episodes that review the most recent season of Netflix's F1 series Drive to Survive as sort of a way to keep that uh, F1 spirit alive during this dark race carless time. So uh, the first bit of that uh, is this episode. So we're we will be covering um, Drive to Survive season two episodes one through three yeah. uh, here. And if you like this again, this is sort of the format that we do for uh, all of our um, uh, uh, not all the the uh, Patreon episodes, but the ones where we review um, documentaries and movies. So yeah. I guess we do have a little bit of news here. Uh, news concerning other things that you can watch uh, out on the internet since there's there's no sports going on. Um, I did want to to update everybody on um, the e-racing that's been going on, virtual racing. There were, I think we talked about it last episode, but um, the race.com and Veloci, Veloci eSports. Is that, were, yeah. We're both hosting um, official uh, streams with real drivers, as was iRacing. Um, with NASCAR drivers. Uh, but F1, the official Formula One brand, joined in for this past weekend. And I think we'll be doing subsequent races uh, in place of the real Grand Prix uh, races um, with as many F1 drivers as they can scrounge together. I think they in- they said they invited everyone, but I think only two F1 drivers joined <laughs> for this past Lando one in Max, Bahrain. Was it? it was Lando and Latino. Uh, latifi um, oh cool cool max said he didn't want to do it because he wasn't familiar with uh f1 2019 the game oh fair enough he is yeah. a, an r factor and uh, i racing guy so he didn't want to be <laughs> embarrassed the water I guess. that suit yeah. <laughs> um, more of a counter-strike guy i don't know about this quake thing you're playing <laughs> but uh norris uh has been all over this stuff so if you oh, want to gosh. see uh, some really high quality internet hashtag content. Just follow Norris on Twitter. Um, there's uh, a good YouTube compilation that we will link in the show notes of him before the official F1 uh, race. He calls like everyone he can think of in his phone for tips, uh, including Max Verstappen and uh, uh, George Russell. Um, it's yeah, it's a it's a good time uh, and, and and team principal as well. That's right. Yeah, Mr. Zach Brown himself. Um, and uh, going forward, NASCAR, IndyCar, and uh, the Australian Series Supercars will also be doing their own sanctioned iRacing races 
uh, with official drivers. And NASCAR did one this past weekend with like yeah. 90% real NASCAR drivers. Which it's insane. iRacing must be losing their mind. Yeah. Like more people are watching. There was, I think the Norris stream was the, was we said was the top one on, on Twitch. I, I tuned into one a couple of days ago to 80,000 people. I was like, what? Yeah. I had no idea. The crossover is so immense here as well. It's a great, but to see like NASCAR and supercars doing it. The NASCAR um, one? <laughs> They so before real NASCAR races, they have an invocation where a man reads uh, like leads a prayer before the oh, yeah. race, because uh, it's America and Press have to pay respects. Uh-huh. And they had a dude do this. <laughs> it looked like he had just like went out into the woods and filmed himself on his phone leading no. a prayer. Then they cut to another staple of NASCAR races, uh, the national singing anthem? of the national anthem, oh which was a dude God. in his garage <laughs> while <laughs> B-roll of the iRacing track played over the top. Oh. Now we just need to patch in some DCS people doing a flyover. Yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, uh, I, I haven't checked the actual YouTube archi- archive to see if that's there, but that aired on Fox Sports, like on television. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, also, what there wonderful. was a uh, Shift F1 community race in F1 2019, which uh, I joined in on, which is really fun. <gasps> Although I have to apologize to everyone for oh no crashing into them in the first corner. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Oh no, he did a Verstappen. Uh, yeah, I did. I did. It was more like a Grosjean. Um, or a Kvyat. Yes. That's beautiful. Uh, nice work. That's great. They should, yeah, yeah, spam me. If you're doing that race, guys, uh, spam me, please. Let me know on Twitter if you're doing it. Because I'd, I'd love to do that. Although the racing wheel is in the studio, I'm going to have to figure that out. Have to bring it back. Get your Xbox 360 controller. Order it. Yeah. Time to get time to upgrade. Oh my God. <laughs> time to get one of those like Thrustmaster monstrosities. Dude, I have that. Have you seen the race setup we have? Oh, no, I guess I have not. Oh, yeah, it's a full cockpit. Okay. Yeah, Same. they sent it in. It's pretty nuts. Uh, also, other free racing to watch. Um, F1 did release the 2016 Brazil Grand Prix, <laughs> which is a great one, uh, on YouTube. So if you were in a, uh, one of the uh, many listeners who listens to this podcast but does not actually watch the races, you can watch that race. Full race there. We'll link that in the show notes as well. Yeah. It's got um, lots of rain, lots of lots of crashes, lots of red flags. Good stuff. The quality uh, F1 racing. It, it says a lot about F1 that that's the race they put up. Yeah. Like they kind of know what they've got there. <laughs> right. Um, also, MotoGP uh, has their own subscription service where you can go back and watch pretty much any uh, old race. Um, that whole package is free until the real MotoGP season starts. So if you That's want smart. some real good racing, uh, MotoGP um, is uh, is there for you. Uh, it's basically, if you've never heard of it, it's basically the Formula One of motorcycles. So mm. um, I recommend watching the documentary uh, Hitting the Apex, oh, so uh, good. which is a good intro to that. Uh, maybe Got listening to our, uh, I don't know if it's still relevant, but we did a, a preseason, or we did a primer for MotoGP Back in the Alt F1 days with one Gurkhan Erdermley. Ermagerd. Ermagerd, Gurkhan Erdermley. Turkish Gurkish. Yes. Good friend of ours. Yeah, I worked at CBS. Uh, yeah, he's a. Uh, yeah, I, I feel like that's probably. Maybe the driver specs aren't so. Although most of those, I feel like that. Uh, most of the top six or seven are probably. I'd love to do another there. one of those when we get back going. Another MotoGP yeah. one. Because um, that's, that's, I think, my second favorite uh, series to watch. 
Uh, all right, that's a lot of stuff to watch. Uh, we'll put again links in the show notes for all of that, um, and and where to follow, like who to follow, uh, because this stuff is always changing. They're getting people in and out, and and uh, assigning drivers to different races and stuff. So it's it's kind of tough to follow. I did mm-hmm. put up a like roundup post of here's everything going on this weekend. That was a lot of work. I don't know if I'm going to do another one. I might just say like here, follow these Twitter accounts. Uh, they'll let yeah. you know. Um, but, uh, going forward, F1 will be doing those virtual races. So hopefully that'll be, uh, something easy to just, um, uh, be able to follow and, and stay up with. Awesome. Uh, okay. Now, Danny, let's jump into S- season two. Yeah. Drive to survive. Speaking of things to watch, you can check this out on Netflix. Uh, we are going to cover the first three episodes of the second season of Netflix's premiere um uh series on formula one drive to survive last year's one was really good and this one i think we will we'll find out by the end but it might be even better uh it's 10 episodes long we're covering the first three like i said episode one is called lights out it's a little bit light on content too we'll probably get through that one pretty quickly because <laughs> episode two ladies and gentlemen people of all descriptions boiling point might be, be might be the best episode of the whole thing. We'll, uh, we'll probably chew on that one for a while, and then the third one has a, a wonderful battle between two of the mid peer mid te- uh, mid pack teams. Uh, it's called dog fight. Uh, so there's a lot to talk about there too. Uh, so the one of the biggest I guess um, missing elements from last year's season was that there was effectively zero input from either mercedes or ferrari so there was word during the season that they were doing another one there was word that uh mercedes and ferrari would be involved in fact we at one stage we heard that maybe they were shattering mercedes during the german grand prix which was quite eventful for them um we'll get to that in the next episode but the season opened or the series opened rather with mattia bonato team principal of uh, Ferrari sitting down in his chair and them asking him, does he have Netflix? <laughs> so I love this because they're so like, holy shit, we've got Ferrari and Mercedes involved. Here's this guy in the iconic red suit, not Santa, but Mattia Venato. And here he is. Do you have Netflix? And then the other thing they've got is they do a little, like, they edit it together so it's kind of funny, but, like, everyone on the Mercedes team getting the the complete name of the team wrong. And that's about all the content they seem to get out of those interviews. Like, basically, they, like, whatever whatever that press day was where they had the availability, they got bubkiss from those interviews that was relevant to the first day. And so they milk it for everything it's worth. But it does very much feel like... Okay, we got some, like, yes, we got some access to Mercedes and Ferrari, but we don't actually have buy-in from them. Uh, Mm. So we're just going to stretch this for all it's worth. Have you guys, uh, let me just, for a bit of context, have you guys, how many episodes have you watched yet? Oh, I'm I'm doing a naive commentary. I've only watched the first three and then I stopped. Okay, awesome. And Drew, you the same? Uh, I watched all of them, but I went back and watched these three okay same here i I binge watched them in like two nights like a yeah when person. they came out that's what when they first came out yeah uh, which it, see now you wish you you wish you'd stored it up right <laughs> like i'm a little ant storing my f1 content up for the long winter 
Totally. You were just out there being a grasshopper, binging Drive to Survive. Well, you were a little bit unfair on one of the Mercedes people. There was one of them, one of the three, Toto Wolff, Lewis Hamilton, and Valtteri Bottas, who actually did get it right, which was, of course, the ever-professional uh, Drew's favorite driver, Valtteri Bottas, who nailed <laughs> I, it. it was, what, I did love his little smirk. That? Yeah, totally. I wonder if he messed it up when that was the second go and they just let him have it. He said, what is it? It's, it's, it's like Mercedes, Mercedes AMG, AMG Patronus, Patronus F1 team. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. It's pretty good. Um, then we, we got, uh, this one is very much an introduction to the sport, an introduction to the players that you're going to be uh, enjoying over the course of uh, this season. They sort of lean into Gunter Steiner for quite a bit of this because the next episode is basically focused on on him and Haas. Um, but it, uh, it opens up with them uh, on a boat in Melbourne getting ready for the Grand Prix, a little sort of canal boat situation for the, I guess, first official launch event for uh for formula one they'd never done one of these before i remember the live stream with um uh, mark weber uh, hosting it the uh there was a couple of nice little bits here uh, somebody whispering to the netflix people oh are you back for season two um I which i thought horner. was quite sweet is it christian horner yeah. brilliant um and then we have a great little uh a question up on the podium where gunter steiner is uh, being interviewed and there is a kid who uh comes up with the perfect line um are you going to? He he basically asks him, "Are you going to be wankers this weekend or rock stars?" Which is a reference back to Drive to Survive season one, where Gunter Steiner was hot mic'd saying, "We uh we look like rock stars now. We look like a bunch of wankers." Uh, which, which they milked pretty good as well. I think is an interesting. I'm I'm interested in seeing how this arc plays out across the season because I, this has been an observed issue with these kind of behind the scenes sports documentaries where right. uh, when HBO sent its documentary crews in for twenty four seven the Road to the Winter Classic like the first couple times they did it the teams weren't really sure what to make of it and so you got some really unguarded uh, surprisingly candid views from the inside of an NHL locker room. As that series went on, like each time around, mm. all the guys who had all the all the teams that were featured in upcoming seasons had seen the previous seasons and were aware of it. And you started to get the reality show effect from some people where it was like, okay, are you guys sort of play acting uh, right. for for the show? And then you also started to get teams just getting more guarded. Uh, this especially had, this is basically what killed uh, the hard knocks NFL series where, you know, the Oakland Raiders had this really tumultuous off season last year, but the media control was so tight on the documentary that the documentary couldn't get any of it. Uh, And so I was interested to see this sort of like uh, the character Gunther Steiner regarding the character that he became through the lens of season one of drive to survive and sort of playing into that in some ways. I'm really curious is the season going to become self-referential? Does season uh, three of I, Drive to Survive get super yeah, self-referential? That's the one I'm worried about because episode two made me think that Gunter Steiner has learned nothing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, we get a whisper of it after they sort of check in with uh, with uh, Max Verstappen and talk to how he's obviously, you know, Honda have a deal with Red Bull and Daniel's gone away and will he miss him and all that stuff. And then it cuts to Haas who is, uh, it's Gunter Steiner having a sort of the launch of the 
the new car. He is uh, in the in the factory. We have a second launch in the next episode. Um, um, he he seems to me like like he seems like such a weird character. I think he's he has this crazy energy where he is he almost sucks the energy out of the room when he talks. He see he is like maybe the world's worst motivator. <laughs> he, um, to me, he seems like. Like, just in the way that he said, like, he's addressing his staff at the factory, and then he says, um, let's go see the gar- let's go see the car, let's come over. And, like, that kind of a sentence is, like, something that an elementary school teacher would say to me. Like, he's, he's right. sort of, like, uh, not, like, not commanding, but commanding people to go well, do something. Mm. It's a, it's and a then weird... his his way of relating to the troops to be like, Haha, I'm just joshing with you, is to pick on someone. Yeah, like, yes. It's a bad look. Like we've all seen the dynamic before, where it's like, oh, like to make yourself more likable, you're just dunking on someone nearby. In this case, it's Roman Groshan, <laughs> which Christ. look, man, like. <laughs> At this point, if Groshan punches him out, I think it's well deserved. Like at a certain point, like you know what, you know, either either cut me from this team or don't, but but shut up. Yeah. Like it's not like it's not funny. And also I'm not sure you've demonstrated competence considerably in excess of Romans. Um, but yeah, that's it's it's but it's it's a weird tense thing because he's like constantly teasing Groshan. And it it feels uncomfortable every time he does it. Yeah, I mean, talk about a caricature uh, that the that the show is really sort of leaning into. Um, I think all of the things that the show says about Grosjean are true, but mm. I it still rubs me the wrong way the the way that the show, or I guess, how far the show leans into it. But is know. the show at this point, or is it Steiner? Is it is the show portraying the character of Gunther Steiner? It's like, haha, look at this, look at this wacky guy. I guess I'm and thinking then it's more showcasing of, the wacky guy being an asshole. Yeah, I think I, I think I'm thinking more of the first season where like every like they showed clips of people literally laughing at Grosjean. Right. Um, so yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, that's that's just kind of I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, for folks who haven't seen the scene, uh, uh, the car is revealed. He says it looks good. Hopefully, it's fast. Um, and then they laughed about how the last time we saw a uh, golden black car, uh, it was on the podium, which I guess was Grosjean in a Lotus. Yes. Is that right? Okay. Which would have been who? I forget. Which team was that again? It was Lotus became Renault. Right, of course, yeah. Um, so he said, uh, and of course, um, the bankruptcy guy came up and he said, we're not bankrupt yet. Depends how many cars you destroyed this year. <laughs> yeah, <terrible>. yeah. Grosjean <laughs> said something like about Lotus. He said we were bank we were bankrupt back That's then what too. He said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and then as they're walking away, he said, "Are you upset with me now? Uh, are you upset now with me?" That was a joke. Um, <laughs> that's kind of the end of that uh, we get to a race in this they kind of show off a race just for the sake of showing off I'm not, I'm not really sure what they had here um, what they had I mean, planned for this you yet another tragedy uh, of a um, Australian Grand Prix for Ricardo. yeah like nightmarish starts to his Renault tenure Ricardo totally just eats shit like gobbles his front wing it gets lodged in what we later find out is a uh, a drain off to the side on the grass where I guess they never expected people to be 
you know, fair maybe, not not to expect people to be driving on the inside, on the wall side, on a start-finish straight in the grass. But obviously he, he was trying to make a an overtaking maneuver at the start of the race. Um, came in for his pit, picked up a pretty big vibration, had to retire the car pretty quick after that. Um, and we there got was, a little bit of him. There the was a shot of, of the crowd uh, of a, a sign that said, Ricardo needs no wings. That was nice. In the Renault colors, right? <laughs> in the Renault colors. Yeah, that was quite cool. Um, and then it pivots over to Haas and the sort of looking back at the previous year where they had that disastrous double pit stop um, and then seeing uh, Grosjean come in for a pit and it all went great uh, until he gets a radio call saying, um, or he calls in rather, saying he's losing the brakes, to which they basically at that stage kind of have no alternative but to retire the car because of um, the danger they're in. Um, well, isn't it, isn't it, or maybe it's Magnuson, but he comes in and then they have a slow, it's a slow stop. Like they can't get the front left on. Like, oh, is it? Yeah. It's like another pit stop meltdown uh, for Haas I totally in Australia. That. Oh, it actually did. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I found interesting, which I no, I did not notice during the race, um, was when Grosjean, first of all, Grosjean pulls off effectively the turn prior to the pit lane which i thought was interesting i guess maybe it doesn't make it doesn't really matter because he can just go down that escape road and he's in the back anyway but when he pulled in he pops over the rumble strips or whatever is on the outside of that mm-hmm. turn and the front left of the wheel almost comes off did you yeah. see that yeah i'd never noticed that before but, but that wasn't the issue he had a brake problem but uh, he, that's a, yeah, what, that's what it make they make it look like i don't know that was the wheel that had the pit stop problem though so the pit i don't stop issue yeah i don't know yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. It was it was strange because uh, he wouldn't. He also wouldn't have made it that far around the track with a loose wheel. So maybe it was just like a little loose, and then maybe that was causing the brake issue. I don't yeah. really know. I don't know. But I didn't notice that first time around. Um, we have a bit of uh, Max Verstappen and Vettel having a battle. Uh, Max overtakes Sebastian, uh, ends up uh, do, uh, doing it on turn three, and in so doing, grabs himself a podium. The race ends. Botas first, Hamilton second. Max Verstappen third. And then the episode ends with sort of Grosjean and Danny Ricardo just being sad. Yeah, which is hard when it's Ricardo. Yeah, not a great start to his year. Not a great year, as we're going to find out yeah. in episode three. It did show yeah. uh, Honda power, though. Which is something yes, that they were, you know, uh, they alluded to earlier in the episode when <laughs> they bring Christian Horner into that tiny little stage in Japan yeah, where Max weird, is doing it? that yeah. exhibition thing. Uh, and he says, uh, we've put all of our money on one number, meaning Honda. And they, they don't know how it's going to go. Because Honda was terrible uh, when they were with McLaren. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, Red Bull put it all on all on H and uh, got a podium. Number H. There you go. Good start to the year. Good start to the year for Botas, too. Uh, maybe we'll check in with them, those guys later on this year. Uh, any other final thoughts on episode one? It seemed like pretty light on content, kind of setting up the players. Not really much. Yeah to add apart from that really there was one um interesting quote from ricardo because like a, a huge moment in the previous season was ricardo switching from red bull to Renault, and why did yes. he do that um and early in the episode he says um i feel a responsibility to deliver the best i can with the car i've got i'm going to try and push the car up the grid during my time here so number mm. one, he's kind of alluding to the car may not be so great, sort of hedging his um, 
uh, or maybe not making ex- excuses, but, you know, uh, setting expectations that maybe this right. car is not great. And then um, during my time here, I think, I think there's probably a lot of double speak that we in the audience don't really hear that often and is only able to be recognized in um like, hindsight oh, yeah hindsight yeah yeah um so i wonder if this is like a little bit of uh to keep reno honest do you know what i mean yeah perhaps it's such a strange he feels like he's he's his lack of confidence this year in general is like you can sense and we we spend a lot of time with dad ricardo during the season again yeah um, and i think that sense only increases the more interviews he watches but it is interesting though yeah the first interview you're already kind of seeing it yeah you're just as an f1 driver i think you're always playing the game yeah shall we move on to episode two sure oh my god okay strap in folks it's about to get rich uh much like the previous episode opened up with a nice little um one-liner from Bonato. This one opens up in a nice little line from Gunter Steiner saying, uh, who's talking somewhere in the back of the paddock, secretly with somebody, and that other individual says, you're not mic'd up, are you? And he was like, oh, of course. I don't fucking care. They'll take it. They'll take it out. <laughs> and then it cuts to intro, which was which was interesting. I don't think they ever really circled back on that properly. Um they didn't take out anything, though, and there's a lot of Gunter Steiner cursing. So if you have children around at the moment, I'm going to be quoting quite well, I guess that, <laughs> that ship has already sailed. <laughs> but, uh, but there's going to be a lot more coming, just FYI. Um, so the next, then it cuts to him uh, basically sort of a future scene where he is locked up inside of the, what do we call those things? Like the trailer, the hospitality, it's not even a hospitality thing, the the engineering yeah. trailer, wherever his office is, right? Yeah. Whenever they bring that around. On track. Um, yeah. And he is talking to somebody, um, presumably drivers or something, and we're not sure. And I have three lines taken down. The first one is, uh, this is not a fucking kindergarten here. Obviously, it's a bit of a clown show here too. Fucking hell. I don't know what the fuck is happening. <laughs> fucking everything is fucked up at the moment. <laughs> Um, so things not going great for our friend Gunter. Cut to London and ZZ Top are coming in for a, <laughs> for a gig. Uh, our friend William Story is in a helicopter and then it cuts to him being interviewed and all of my dreams have come true. <laughs> the fourth monkey paw finger curls in and we have an episode that details, at least to a certain extent... The uh, fracturous relationship between Haas and uh, energy drink um, uh, slush fund. I don't know <laughs> what we're calling it. Uh, rich energy. Um, William Story talking about how he spent £35 million, which is the first lie he says in this episode, um, to to uh, partner up with Haas, that they are sort of innovators in, a, in an expensive a game and they're the same in the energy drink world. I mean, they're both a little bit rock and roll, Danny. They're both, a, yeah, they're both a little bit wankers as well, as it turns <laughs> out. Rock stars, rock stars and wankers. Um, he's taking a helicopter. There's a great shot of him over Piccadilly Circus in a helicopter. Um, and then it cuts to Gunter asking Kevin Magnuson why he didn't walk <laughs> to the meeting because he lives two miles away, <laughs> which I thought was quite good. He said it'd be good for you. It'd be good for you. 
Um, I just have a note here that just says Will Buxton is great. He's 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 a really great piece of um, narrative adhesive during this whole thing. I think he really adds a lot to it. Yeah, I think Will- he has a. Go ahead, Rob. No, I was just gonna say Will Buxton's emergence as one of the like voices of the paddock is such a weird thing to consider from the vantage of somebody who watches early broadcasts with speed and then NBC because (laughs) the speed crew were so clearly outsiders. Will was like kind of the little annoying guy whose job it was to like scurry around the grid and get in people's way. And he was also kind of, uh, your sort of quintessential messy bitch who loves drama type character i I think and that was very much how he came across and the weird thing is he's just stuck around long enough and he he is very good and being around long enough he's he's got a lot of insights into what's going on but it is strange to be at a point now where like he comes up on the screen it's like ah here's will to explain it all to the people (laughs) i think he's he's got a i think you're right danny He, he walks a fine line between here's some technical stuff that I think the viewers need to understand for this to make sense. But also I'm going to deliver it in such a way that it is the most dramatic as I can make it. Yeah. I think it's a good, cause he's obviously like the, these are fed lines. He's, he's reading script lines, right. To like piece it together for or like bullet points, probably like talk yeah, about this. I, totally. I think he can do that on command. I don't think he's yeah, reading a script. Totally. Like I yeah. think he genuinely, because this is how he's always communicated the sport. He's yeah. always thought of it in terms of these narratives and storylines. Yeah. If you don't watch his YouTube videos, uh, just folks listening, he will, I find it incredible as a, as a presenter, uh, that he, he basically does these like, uh, two minute intros for each team after the race or before the race where he'll go down each team and he does them totally unscripted. Uh, and there's no cuts he just does them and and often people are walking past and he's saying hi to people um kind of in the same way ted kravitz does um he's super professional um yeah and i th- I think he just kind of i like the way that they do that but they they film them in the same way as the interview so it gives it you know it gives it that sort of like um uh, in the moment feel but obviously so, it's been planned a bit more i will say i think the thing that's really amazing about this episode though is from the first you realize the story that the drive to survive crew thought they were getting right. Like out of the gate, like here, William story is going to be part of this. Yeah. Uh, we're going to cover the launch of the rich energy Haas F one car. And it's all very credulous. Like, yeah, we'll make William story. One of the centerpieces we will fly in on his helicopter and all this stuff. <laughs> and it is so <laughs> remarkable to like, they are getting the story. They're getting the most important one about this team of the season. Oh, they're getting the stories, but not in the way they thought, right? Like the way they're shooting these early scenes, it's the narrative that was being sold to us in, yes. in some ways. And like, if you know how this ended already from the first, you're like, this feels off. This, yeah, this and, just, this feels off. And are you totally, it, it's interesting. I wonder how much they realized that this guy's a super bogey or maybe they knew like, oh, he'll be good on camera no matter what we get. So let's, let's lean into him. And he was probably also, I bet, I bet 
on his bullet points for this whole thing was like, I wonder if the deal even came through because Haas got so much limelight in the first series. Like, I wonder if that was even part of it where hmm. they, he, he and Rich Energy had eyes on this whole thing. It's like, hey, a lot of people are going to watch the documentary as well as watching the racing. Um, like, hey, come on over to our, our launch. Like, it's in London, right? You guys are you guys are based in London production team. Like, come on. You know what I mean? I wonder how much it was that stuff was going on too. I can imagine that being like a soft lob. Like, oh, we'll get a helicopter. I'll let you guys get helicopter shots of London. You know what I mean? I'd love to know what the how that relationship evolves. Um, and it's weird because we'll talk about it later, but the, the eventual sort of ending of that story as well is kind of divorce like we enjoy it probably more because we have the context for how it all happened but they don't really get into it like actually in any sort of meaningful way in this episode um but we do at least get uh, sorry drew he he does say story does uh i think during that launch um that uh haas is a brilliantly run team yeah which if william story is saying that about you you there may be some problems (laughs) that's a low watermark um uh, we have a great little uh, shot of perhaps the most awkward conversation in history between William Story, Gunter Steiner, Roman Grosjean, and Kevin Magnussen. I, I think I would probably struggle to have a two-minute conversation with either of those people. <laughs> maybe K-Mag, we might get away with it. He seems like he's maybe all right. Um, but yeah, we have a little bit of back and forth there. It's uh, it's great. It's like the Beatles have uh, come together again. Uh, then we're off to uh, Australia for a hot second where we... Um, I guess are looking at the Haas team, how they're doing. Yeah, they do like a uh, montage of like the season yeah. so far. Well, obviously, Magasin got P6 in Australia. Uh, Grosjean, as we talked about in the previous episode, uh, did not finish, unfortunately, but um, they were essentially in fourth place after the first race. Um, after Bahrain, they were in sixth. After Baku, they were in eighth. And then uh, they have Magnussen tapping that wall of champions um, uh, in Canada and the writing is on a wall. At that stage, they are ninth and looking at Williams breathing behind their neck for the last place. Um, the writing yeah, yeah. and most of his car was on the wall. Yes, exactly. On the wall, on the wall. Uh, he's not very happy about it. This is the worst experience I've ever had in any race car, he says over Team Radio, to which Gunter says, enough now. Um, and then we are off to the A1 ring or the Red Bull ring to uh, the Austrian Grand Prix to see how they're going to do there. And this is where we sort of settle into life at Haas and the, the various players involved. We get introduced to uh, Ayo Kamatsu, who is the or Kamatsu, sorry, who is the race engineer. He's basically Roman Grosjean's long-term race engineer who's traveled with him from... Um, uh, team to team he's sort of involved in here a little bit um there's a pep talk from gunter they're doing a sort of a post-mortem on the car and uh we get we get the first we we get uh the two sides of um gunter steiner the the manager who is delegating and then the uh person who has to talk who is ultimately responsible for the the person above him as well in the organization. The first part of this is him basically like leaning on uh, Komatsu saying, Komatsu saying, you know, I'm going to have to start making changes unless this car turns around. And then the next scene, talk about uncomfortable conversations, is with Gene Haas. Yeah, I um, that conversation with Komatsu, uh, it's, it's hard not to read that as a, as a straight up threat. Totally. Um, and this is also kind of the, the point where we, we start to understand that Haas does not understand anything about their car. Yeah, which this is what happens when you buy your car off 
the internet. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's what that's what Buxton says, right? Like, it's all just these third-party components not gelling well together, and it's impossible to trace that down. I, I like they say something like, um, uh, "We don't actually know." This is Magnuson uh, speaking to Netflix. We don't actually know what our problem is. We need to look at everything and question everything, which just sounds exhausting. Like, how do yeah. you how are you possibly competitive in an environment like that? Especially with the limited testing that exists in Formula One, where you effectively, and we see it soon enough, uh, have to use races as test uh, periods, uh, which is pretty nuts. I So there's a few things in all of this that are really interesting to watch, but also kind of tough to watch. Mm. One is that, again, is, is this who Steiner is or is he playing a character? Like that tough love speech he gives to the troops at Austria. You know, yeah. we need everyone, you know, think about what we're doing. Uh, I don't like feeling this way. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want. It's we, embarrassing. Look in the yeah. mirror. And it's like the car doesn't work. Yeah. Like you can, you can berate all sorts of engineers and mechanics on an F1 team. But if the design as a whole just has fundamental flaws that nobody can understand, like the, this isn't an army that just needs some, like, you know, need, you know, needs some extra uh, backbone put into them. Right. Like this is a really complicated technical problem that more than anyone else, it's Steiner's problem to solve or to have, or to have his leadership team solve and to have that manifest in kind of a bullying speech to the staff kind of rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Um, And the other part of it is, so his conversation with Komatsu it is kind of threatening, but also I can never get the, I never can escape the feeling that with Shiner, we've now seen enough of this. And before the end of this episode, we will see this move more from him. That This is all hollow. Like he is the sort of person who will allude yeah. to like, I'm going to take drastic measures. Like if this keeps up, I'm going to. And if as a boss, you're routinely sort of referring to the things you could do, but you never actually will. Uh, eventually people like you're going to lose credibility. Uh, and you just come across, I think, as kind of kind of a dick. Um, so I, I, I don't know. It, it is an interesting portrayal of his leadership uh, that I find kind of fascinating. Um, and he seems like such a stark contrast to Gene Haas, <laughs> yeah, who seems like one of the coldest people we've seen in drive to survive. Like he's scary. Yeah. Like we've, we've seen all yeah. the team principals come through this. Gene Haas seems like an alien landed on the F one paddock <laughs> and is like deciding who is going to be allowed to continue. Like, uh, he just seems icy. Uh, I feel like him and Lawrence Stroll would be like really good put to work at like death panels or something. They're just like yeah. the coldest fucking scariest dudes. Yeah, I mean, he makes I, Steiner I, so nervous. Yeah, yeah. he says, um, well, I, uh, and he says, he says these things in like that sort of ah shucks American. It's, it reminds me a, a little bit of uh, Matt Damon's character in uh, Ford vs. Yes. He, oh, yeah. he says, uh, well, I, uh, I hope you get it fixed. Uh, every weekend's a new test. Let's see if you can pass this one. <laughs> Which, like, if you said that, like, I'm pretty sure I've heard 
that said in like a World War II movie in a German accent, right? That's so much <laughs> scarier than anything Steiner says. Yeah. That is so much scarier than, yeah, let's see what happens. Hope you pass this test. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And then the fact that they have to go down to using the races as testing sessions is just brutal. And you can see how that changes the atmosphere around a team. Uh, when you're no longer racing for a position, you are just frantically trying to gather data uh, to sort of unfuck the car. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's the the whole, all of the dynamics between everyone, between um, Gene and Gunter, between Gunter and uh, his engineering staff, between him and the drivers, it's all sort of explored a little bit. I remember feeling exhausted by this point in the episode and i checked the timer we are 12 minutes into the 40 minute episode <laughs> like this is this was i i think this fed me for like episodes uh you know even later i just felt so uh, nourished by what we got out of, out of this one um we get to the race uh qualification is a bit of a nightmare for magnuson he had a gearbox change uh took them right down to the wire to actually get it fixed but of course he's going to take a five place Penalty, he ended up getting P5, which is pretty remarkable. It might have been his best qualifying of the year, probably. And a huge um, morale boost. Totally, like the, the, massive The episode goes boost. like, all right, we're back, baby. Well, unless Eugene Haas, who whispers to Gunter Steiner's ear, still got the penalty, though. <laughs> Always the realist. Right. Um, and then, ultimately, the race doesn't help things. They... The car, as we saw throughout the season, just temperature management, a complete nightmare, be it brakes or tires or, or anything. They are gobbled up by practically everyone on uh, on a track which, if your car is underperforming, there's enough overtaking zones here to to really um, uh, make somebody suffer. Grosjean finishes 16th, Magnussen in 17th. 19th. Um, sorry, 19th. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Grosjean said, um, it feels like it's raining. Right, yeah. Which is crazy. This complete lack of grip. Well, but this is also, so as he's pulling into the pits, you got Magnuson, who's just about to break down. Um, you get that great shot of him pulling in and turning off the car and just sort of sitting there looking like he's about to burst in tears. Yeah. Uh, and then you get the sequence with Grosjean, like maybe this was the moment uh, where he's like, I don't want to drive this car anymore. Like, go back to the yeah. old configuration, which was a pivotal moment in the 2019 Haas campaign where Groshan was saying, "Our upgrade, we are down the wrong upgrade tray. Like, totally. the, like we started from a flawed assumption. We've just gone down it. We need to go back to the start and, like, figure it out. Uh, and that proved to be the closest they came to having an answer for what was going on with their, uh, with their car. It's interesting to see that kind of, in the background, because the reporting on the season made Groshan maybe a little more pivotal uh, to it, whereas here the way this episode portrays it as, oh, the whole team kind of comes to the realization they've gone down the right. wrong road. Uh, but it does seem like Groshan, from the other reporting, was the person who more than anyone said, like, undeniably, no matter what the data is telling us, uh, undeniably the upgraded car has actually like taken away a number right. of the better qualities, the original. Yeah. I think uh, Komatsu uh, says uh, something to that effect. Like Groshan has been beating this drum. He should be the one to get, yeah. uh, he should be the one to get the old car. Yeah. Which of course he would also say because he's been Grosjean's right-hand man for, you know. I did not realize, so I didn't realize I, that was a dynamic and I think that fascinates me. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't did. know that either. I did some research on Grosjean's it. Grosjean's homie yeah. is like in the core leadership team of, 
yeah so he used to be he was he was i believe he was a pit crew member on some super early spec thing with grosjean and then he went with him as his race engineer uh to i guess it was loaded maybe was he somewhere before lotus i forget um and he's been with him ever since and he came with him when he went to haas so yeah he's 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 a japanese british i believe i think he was born in japan but has grown up in england um so i think he's been involved in racing for for a long time um yeah, there's a bit of back and forth there between uh, just we'll we'll get to that section in Silverstone in, in a bit. We just have to go through. We have to take a little quick pit stop in Copenhagen, Italy, and uh, with William Story, uh, the back and forth between uh, Gunter and Grosjean was interesting. He said, um, "Yes, as soon as you're behind another car, basically, um, you can't do anything." Uh, Gunter said, "I wasn't even watching anymore. I couldn't give a fuck. Uh, we need to do something about it." And then we're off to a little bit of a. Check in with Kevin Magnussen, who I think is becoming more of a sympathetic figure in this series. Um, fishing in Copenhagen with his friend uh, off on a boat, which looks quite pretty. And then we shoot off to um, Moran yes, Rob, in Italy. Rob has a point. Just, oh. Question about all this. Uh, <laughs> we're going to see, as they introduce all the drivers to us, they'll just go and have a day where they hang with their homie, doing something really exciting and awesome. F1 drivers, they're just like us. Just normal. Yeah. It's just like... Except they I mean, have yachts and they go spearfishing <laughs> in, uh, uh, you know, in, in, the, uh, in the Mediterranean. Yeah. And <laughs> the uh, the thing that I was wondering is like, again, the artifice of this of this construction of the documentary, right? Like, was this the, oh, the crew is going to be shadowing uh, shadowing you this weekend, Kevin. Well, what are, what are you doing? Oh, I was just going to go out on my boat. Okay, well, to shadow you onto the boat. Or have all these guys been encouraged either by the production staff or by their own, like, managers and uh, PR <laughs> people, like, hey, uh, if you want screen time on this, you got to go do something dynamic. You right. got to, like, don't like last year we shot Daniel Ricardo hanging out in a hotel room with a bald guy that he later got in a lawsuit with. Oh uh, yeah. God. Geez, like, all that and thing. that only became an interesting scene because the stakes of that conversation were so high, but ultimately it was two guys sitting on a couch having a stilted conversation. So if we're going to have stilted conversations. Could you at least be like on a boat or do you have a pilot's <laughs> license? Could you like go and like tandem fly while you talk about your career? That'd be great. We're gonna, well, we're going to play basketball with the boys in the next episode, so hold your horses for a second on Danny Ricardo. Uh, maybe he'll get in a lawsuit with that guy. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but this actually filled in a bit of context for Gunter Steiner, which I didn't really understand because I knew he was Italian. And then he's in Moran, and I realized that I didn't realize that that was in South Tyrol. So he, he's, he lives in the northern region of Italy, which was basically an Austro, uh, Austro-Hungarian yeah. uh, 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 part of the country uh, until I think a lot of German after World War One, right? Yeah. yeah. So like, it's like half the people there speak German. Um, uh, so he, he's from Bolzano, which is the capital. So uh, I guess now he lives in Moran, which is uh, a, a village in, in the, the foothills there um, of the Alps, the Italian Alps. Um, uh, he, it, it, you know, to Rob is totally right. When it came to drivers, you do, we're getting a lot of this bombast and even when we're hanging out with christian horner and his wife you know jerry halliwell the spice girl on their like you know fucking horse farm or whatever in this massive house um 
you know, with with Gunter, it's actually quite you know European and and humble and beautiful. He lives in an apartment, it looks like, or a house in 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 a, in, in Moran. He's out with his wife and his his daughter's wife uh, uh, Gertrude and his daughter, um, and it's quite sweet. Like it's just like family life, and he's talking about. He seems like the type of person who like just holds a lot of stress and is okay with like quite a lot of stress, and then that last bit of stress lets him boil over and it's interesting the dynamic between him and his wife where he's trying to downplay things and she's like ah well maybe it's you know more stressful than you think yeah the editing's um, pretty good where he he says something like the uh the pressure doesn't get to me really and then yeah. she just kind of smiles and meanwhile he's like dealing with a pot that is boiling <laughs> yo you missed the the start of the sequence is them walking to the market and his yeah. daughter asks, do you like being a team principal? Yeah. Yes. And her mother responds, well, he's been doing it a long time. Yeah. And Steiner's what answer is, what else would I do? Yeah. And I was like, whoa, hold on here. Like, <laughs> sometimes this stuff all seems very staging and everything, but that entire exchange, like, yeah. like suddenly sort of recast a lot of what I'm saying. We're like, is Gunther Steiner really up for this? Like, yeah, I is, like you know, this is a this is a bad season. We're catching him at a low moment, uh, but to an extent, I think it has to be a weird thing where again you've reached the pinnacle of your profession, and it sucks. Yeah, yeah. he says something later. Like, uh, I think it's not that. It, it seems like this is all he has, really, and so it must work. Like he doesn't yeah. know what he would do otherwise, and he's reached the top of like. He's hit the ceiling of his career, right? He's not going to be a an owner like that's that's he doesn't exist in that financial world. He's he's done really well and he's here. And he also seems like the type of person who I imagine maybe he misses his family quite a lot of the time as well. Maybe it seems like they have a really idyllic lifestyle. And um, perhaps you'd have maybe to claw not. me out of that apartment. Like, sorry, <laughs> I, I could hang out with my beautiful family. And go buy like fresh ingredients at the Italian German market down the street and then go back to up our, you know, back into our sort of mountain cottage. Like, hell yes. (laughs) Like F1 is cool, but you would have like uh, I would leave that for F1. I'm not sure I'd leave it for the Haas F1 team. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Um. Then we cut back a uh, real change of pace back to our friend Richard's story. Rich Energy have tweeted out they are done because of numerous things, including the PC attitude of F1. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> that, that they are done uh, sponsoring Haas. Um, there is a another interview with Richard Story, a very short sort of chat, but he's no longer wearing his purple suit, so they presumably recorded this afterwards then. Um, well, obviously they did, because he's now talking about having left uh, the relationship with Haas. Uh, then it cuts to Gunter Steiner being interviewed by a mob of press, constantly asking questions about Gene Haas, because obviously it's all anyone wanted to know back then. Uh, or sorry, about um, Rich Energy. Uh, Gene Haas answer, answering a question saying, you know, we got that initial payment, but never got anything else. And then basically a lot of like press handlers saying like, no more questions on this, we're done. Like uh, very frustrated uh, Gunter Steiner saying like, I'm sick of answering questions about this whole thing. Um, and then the next shot of the car we have still has the logo on it, so I guess they hadn't gotten around to. Um, I mean, it took a while, it. remember? It did it. Did it take yeah. a little while for them to? Yeah, it took, it took ages. Madness. Uh, then we have the 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 line where they basically decide to go back to the old spec. Um, I have never felt sorrier for Kevin Magnuson than the scene where he's 
they they tell him that he that he's not getting in the car. I think even before they told him, he just looked distraught. Like he just like they're driving a lemon. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. He and, says something and, on the boat like, uh, <laughs> sometimes people don't understand that you're not doing well because you're a bad driver. You're doing poorly because of the car. Right. Yeah. And he like that clearly must cause these drivers some anxiety. Like it's not my fault. Yeah. Especially when you've only got one, you've only, you, you can only ever prove yourself in that car for a year. There's no, right. there's nowhere you can't just go out in your own one and show people, but look, I'm able to do it. You know what I mean? It's, it's, you're just stuck. You're stuck in a crap car for that long. Um, there we go to so we're in Silverstone. Uh, they start the race. They have um, qualified. I think it's seven and eight. No, it couldn't be seven and eight. It has to be further down than that. But they're beside each other. Um, uh, they make their way through the first couple of turns. Okay, and just as they're uh, entering that first straight, first DRS zone, um, Grosjean makes himself a little bit wider than he needed to, maybe. And Magnussen was a little bit too close. And they tap each other, and they realize they both have punctures. There's a line from somebody in the Haas pit uh, crew saying they hit each other. So, and there's another uh, voice peeks up that says, fucking, fucking idiots. <laughs> um, yeah, and then what happens next, I guess? Do they do they both retire? They do, yeah. Okay, so they both retire. Absolute nightmare. I have a wall of text that I transcribed. Okay. Can I read it out to you? Lay it on. Yes. Okay. If you have a child, you need to cover their ears right now because it's about to get Gunter up in here. Uh, Gunter Steiner is addressing his uh, drivers. He is still mic'd up. Perhaps he realizes this. Perhaps he doesn't. And he says, I fucking had enough of both of you. You let the fucking team down. Let me down. Let me down, which I protected you all the time. And I'm not fucking going into who is right and who is wrong. And I don't want to hear, oh, he moved this and he moved that. All that fucking wank, you know? Gene spends a hundred fucking million a year, you know, of his own fucking money, which fucking wants to pull the plug and let everyone down because you fucking idiots. I've no fucking more to say to either of you guys. And if you don't like, I don't fucking need you here. Do not come back, please. Kevin Magnuson smashes a door and then Gunter Schneider runs after him and talks to his, is that his boat friend or is that someone else? I don't know. It's probably. I think manager. it was somebody else. Yeah. His handler. He says. He says he does not smash my door. I don't know where he is, but he can fuck off. We have two fucking idiots driving for us. If it was my decision, we would sack them both. Yeah, which is interesting that it's not his decision. And it's or also he's just talking shit. Yeah, it speaks yeah. to what Rob was saying, right? We're like yeah. all all bark and no bite, you know. Just like he he does just seem to overboil. I mean, and in fairness, that's a good time to overboil. Your drivers hit each other. But, like, marry this with Christian Horner's, you know, public response, perhaps. Like, he probably did the same thing, but maybe he took his mic off before he did it. Um, but also, you had... <laughs> you didn't have a shot of Christian Horner running down after after someone who just smashed their door um, while people are walking around, so... It's such ah. a tremendously embarrassing sequence. Um, and what's funny is I saw at the start of this F1 season, well, what we thought was going to be the start, uh, that Magnuson kind of tried to downplay it, the reaction to some of this, to the reaction people were having to the scene where he was like, oh, actually, it was way worse. They didn't, you know, they didn't even show the really bad stuff. Oh, really? 
Yeah, and I kind of felt like it was a little bit of um, trying to be a little bit too, like, I'm not owned about the entire thing. Okay, yeah. Where it's like, no, I love that. I love that we were shown in that light. Uh, actually, it was way better. It's actually flattering compared to how it really was in the team. And I'm like, I don't know, man. They caught everyone having a tantrum. So, like, I, I like, I, I do kind of wonder. Uh, but I don't know. It's um, I find the scene. The scene is interesting. I, I, I would have to go back and revisit what we said about the, that incident back at the time, right? Because it. I feel like even at the time we had trouble reading who was at fault. It was just one of those things where it's like the entire setup, the the thing that makes this more inexcusable seeing this context is they're testing. Like they just need to AB test these cars. Like the one thing they needed to not do to have this weekend be useful to them is to wreck those cars. Uh, And it is shocking that, they managed to get into each other uh, in that way by racing that way and not yielding when literally they, they could have just said like, you know, they could have locked in their positions and just said like, we need to see you turn race pace laps and just get that, get that data. And that's not what happened. Uh, These guys have such a weird relationship. They have such really like strong competitive instincts uh, that they cannot see the big picture that the team is trying to paint for them. I think that was the end of the second episode, right? I don't have any more notes. Yeah, the uh, last thing I have is a quote from Gene Haas. If we're doomed to run in the back, I don't think I'm going to be part of that. Oh, yeah. I was forgot about that bit. Uh, <laughs> and on we go to episode three, Dogfight, which uh, largely pits McLaren against Renault and looking at uh, a couple of elements of this one Carlos Sainz getting the seat in Renault because of course in the previous uh, sorry in McLaren because of course in the previous season we weren't sure if he was going to where he was going to go Um, we had uh, very little input from Lando Norris and that's actually at all during the whole season in fact and then the rest of it is basically looking at Daniel's decision uh, to go to Renault uh, at this midpoint in the season, we're kind of around Baku at this this stage, so a couple of races in. Um, so yeah, not and point, sorry, and and framed um, by the, I guess revelation. I didn't know this uh, before the season um, of Drive to Survive that uh, Ricardo had talked with McLaren. He says, "Yeah, um, there were talks with McLaren. I didn't see enough to convince me that they'd get better. Uh, with Renault, I saw the momentum they'd had since 2016." Uh, that was a big attraction for me. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no backsies. Um, we open on the beautiful Villarque Island of Mallorca, which Carlos signs as many Spanish families do, having a nice little family get together in the sun and sand. Um, he seems happy at McLaren. We see him walking around the uh, uh, the the factory, I guess, the McLaren headquarters spaceship. Uh, yeah, the the just looking at all the cars. Uh, Lando's there. There's a little bit of the the mad bants between the two lads when they announced the car, um, which was uh, which was pretty cool. Uh, nothing else was really in that stood out to me. It seemed like just sort of general place settings. Yeah, kind of an admission from Zach Brown saying uh, in 2018, I don't think we designed a very good race car, mm. uh, and that they selected signs for his uh, outright speed and experience, despite the fact that he's only 24 years old. Yeah, he's which a good I mix forget of... that he's young. 
he is young. Yeah, he doesn't. When you consider him next to Lando Norris, he he doesn't look particularly young. Maybe, but um, yeah, it's a yeah. He's a lot of experience, I think, and a lot of this is sort of pitting him and Daniel against each other. Of course, Daniel, another driver who was hired for his experience. Um, his experience in Baku have been uh, mixed, shall we say? He uh, won in twenty seventeen and in twenty eighteen. Obviously, in the previous season of Drive to Survive, had the uh, collection <laughs> with Max Verstappen they crashed on the star finish straight and put them both out uh, one of the more dramatic moments from last year's season and also last year's season uh, then we check in with Cyril Abudabul for the first time uh, this time around about Renault's season and first of all hold the phone when did Cyril get hot oh you think <laughs> is he hotter now <laughs> hands down like no like the effect of his relationship with (laughs) renault was a measurable like like drive to survive season one cyril skeleton man just a just a just a desiccated depressed husk uh (laughs) whose only victory is stealing the driver that that uh red bull didn't even want uh and that's that's all he has to live for season two drive to survive cyril uh just a french just a french god really um just ready to ready catch him uh playing baccarat uh on the french riviera that is that is season two cyril i mean he's he's got that big rick energy oh my god (laughs) uh okay and then on to (laughs) is this oh no this isn't the basketball thing we have a little bit of a banter with his personal trainer who we'll talk about a little bit later i guess you know daniel ricardo's homie uh he always takes advice from his personal trainer you remember this guy it says isn't it also like his friend from school or something yeah he's like but there was no one else that ever influenced daniel ricardo's decision on anything no no absolutely not no exactly yeah Jesus. Uh, then we go to Baku uh, qualification. Again, pitting Ricardo and signs against each other. Uh, Ricardo pits in a not fantastic twelfth, uh, and then signs also lots of disappointment from him and of course his cousin, uh, who's effing and blinding in the pits when he comes in in P eleven. Um, then a small child tra- chastises Daniel about how bad his <laughs> qualification was after the race. Um, who was that kid? Uh, it I know just, that kid's got balls. Just a yeah. kid who was looking for autographs. I think was it after the race? It looked he, like yeah. He, he had a program. He's gonna be season three, like Daniel Ricardo's new career coach or something. Like that's <laughs> that's just the progression. <laughs> season three, it's like that kid from the that, that kid from Gasoline Alley. It's just here counseling counseling Daniel. I'll bet that I kid want... was in season one in uh, in that Microsoft store grilling Hulkenberg oh about his. Oh my god, he was that guy. He was also maybe the guy who popped up and asked. Uh, Christian Horner or asked Gunter Steiner the question um, whether or not they're going to be rock stars or anchors. I don't know. He gets around. Also, um, just quick question. Yeah. Um, Carlos signs his cousin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Secret serial killer or no? Ooh. I think Gordon Freeman impersonator. <laughs> Doesn't. Gordon Freeman was a straight maniac. <laughs> Like oh, yeah. that dude killed like, a lot of people. He discovers extraterrestrial life exists, <laughs> and it is coming to Earth through a portal he ripped through the fabric of space time. And he was like, "Fucking finally!" and starts bludgeoning everything he can see to death with a crowbar. Gordon Freeman, just a monster. We don't know what he was doing before he came into work at Black Mesa. Why was he late? 
Why was he late? Yeah. He's dissolving was he bodies out in the desert. Dude, he's he, like, he, well, time to... <laughs> I ran out of lies. Sorry. Had to go, had to go to the... I mean, he literally kills a baby at the end of that game. So, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Big alien <clears throat> baby. Little ounce baby. Uh, we're into the race in Baku. Baku. <clears throat> Baku. Uh, we have Carlos Sainz Ricardo uh, driving to survive, as it were. Sainz gets past Lando Norris pretty early. Ricardo is also making up places, or Ricciardo, as McLaren's radio keeps saying to Sainz. Um, then he is edging past uh, Daniel Kvyat in the Toro Rosso and eventually gets past him on, that would be turn, I guess the end of turn two, after a little straight after the first turn. Uh, he is looking to get past him, but unfortunately outbreaks himself, ends up going down that slip road, the one where, I forget the name of that, GP, is it GP3 driver or two, the guy who tried to do the 58-point turn to get out of there. He couldn't oh, I don't reverse his car. That one. Uh, Daniel, there's a great little shot of him looking in his right mirror, mm-hmm. not realizing that Kvyat is behind him because there, none of Kvyat's car is in his right mirror. If he looked in his left mirror, he'd see all of Daniel Kvyat uh, and reverses and reverses into Danny's side pod. Uh, Danny on Danny, blue on blue incident. Um, he ends up retiring because of the, I guess, I don't know what, where the damage was, presumably his rear left or something. Um, and he's obviously not particularly uh, happy, embarrassed, he said, as he came off the wall. Um and then we come back to the battle that Sainz is having, where he is basically gobbling up places, doing really well. Um, comes in for the final lap and crosses the line in P7 for his first points of the season. There's lots of dancing around between uh, Carlos Sainz Sr. and the cousin. I need to remember what his name was. I forget. His name is um, also Carlos, but they have a nickname for him this year. Oh, okay. It's different. Because three Carloses and two Carlos Sainz is too much. <laughs> yes. Uh, and then we have a a very awkward conversation between Cyril and Daniel where he said I was trying to I was trying to reverse and he said do a circle now right kind of like unable to hold back his frustration yeah with Daniel Ricardo Um, and then that's the end of the the Baku section and then we're off to Los Angeles I thought it was really gents sorry uh, interesting to hear ricardo he, he's talking about the renault car and i always i like hearing the drivers talk about the minutia of their cars whenever we get that because we don't get it very often um and he's uh, comparing the two the red bull and the the renault he says uh, i'm still not there yet with this car everything is different to the red bull the brakes the throttle the feeling on the pedal uh you can still drive with your eyes closed but to drive it on the limit and to really gel with and understand the car that takes a bit more time mm. and it kind of takes him all season. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, it kind of left me wondering like with this huge gap now because of the coronavirus, is that going to set people like Ricardo back in his new car? Like, I wonder what, what happens to contracts in this world. Yeah, I contracts. have no idea. Yeah. Like, are they obligated too. to calendar years? They are obligated to racing seasons. I have no idea. And yeah, what does it wild. look like when the racing season is 15 races, not 21? If that. Or yeah. four. Or zero. Yeah. Or zero. God. Who knows? This is good. This podcast is going to age like 
like a banana out in the sun. Uh, <laughs> then, speaking of the sun, uh, Daniel a kiwi out in the sun, maybe. Oh, I guess he's Australian. I'll piss off the Aussies. Uh, a koala out in the sun. Daniel uh, playing basketball in Los Angeles. Um, not doing very well with the social distancing, but we'll. Which is already interesting. Why? Like, he likes just hanging out in LA. Yeah, where Red Bull was. Like the All Red right. Bull North American HQ is in Santa Monica. Right. Uh, and so it, it's just another weird thing where it's like, man, why did you make this career move? Yeah. <laughs> like here you are like, all right, hanging out. Effectively like LA, LA is a great city, like a million reasons to visit if you are like uh, somebody of like effectively unlimited means and yeah, such. Some- but nevertheless, it seems like an interesting choice of place to hang out, right? Like clearly he developed an affinity with the city. Is that mm-hmm. partly because his experience of working at Red Bull had him out there a fair bit. In which case, again, we come back to the, like, man, Red Bull really was your effective home as a racer, and now you're kind of completely, like, cut off from the things that were your patterns. And now you're just a guy driving for Renault, but you're basically a mercenary. That's right. that's the other weird thing, is Renault respects him and he's their primary driver. But the other weird dynamic of this is he didn't come up through their program. He is, he's a sellsword. And I don't think on either side, there's that connection that existed for him at Red Bull. Even if that connection was eventually sort of betrayed by their obvious preference for, um, uh, Verstappen. Right. Very well put, because this is all in stark contrast to what we see with Carlos Sainz, who is now living in England. He's moved to England. He is shopping in Marks and Spencers. He's working at the factory. He's going to the gym. Like he is, he is living that life. Gray, you know, gray, gray skies and all. He's not in Mallorca anymore. Um, and you really get to see the, you know, the 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 blood, sweat, and tears. We see the sweat. Him him working out afterwards. You know, it's with Rupert. The, with Ru- Rupert, yes, of course. Um, yeah, shopping at Rupert at Marks and Sparks. They have a great little... And pulling out of the, the, the Marks and Spencer shopping uh, uh, parking uh, lot in fucking McLaren. The refusal <laughs> to get anything but his special fajita mix is yes. just like... Is that is the most, oh, they're just like us. Like, it's, <laughs> it's the end of a hard day of training. This is not where you normally live and you just want your fajita mix. Yeah. I'm not having and, this old El Paso shit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like, no, I've given up too much. I am going to find my fajita mix. I'm going to drive this ridiculous little sports car to wherever they sell it. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, to, um, to his credit, he do, he. It does seem that he has given up a lot. Like moving to England to to place that uh, importance on the relationship with the engineers. Yeah. Is, you know, he said he was away from his partner as well. Yeah. He said girlfriend at one stage. So mm-hmm. there's a lot. It should be noted that if also Marks and Sparks, if you're having, if you're if you're buying groceries at Marks and Spencer, you're doing all right. That's some. That's some nice groceries. So. That yeah. looked like that gave off a strong like Whole Foods vibe. Like one, yeah, that's that that that's probably the the closest yeah comparison to it okay. for sure. I love that shit. Um, okay, then we're off to Barcelona, and it's remember really, normal life. Oh yeah, every I swear <laughs> to God, I can't I can't watch any every movie I watch now. People are standing closer than six feet. It makes me my toes curl. It's just, it's everything's so fucking strange now. What's it going to be like after this? Are we all just going to have it. orgies? I'm just going to go out be and like, find my fajita mix. I don't care how many people I see. Yeah, right. Uh, I can't have fajita mix because I might infect 
40 people <laughs> or being fat i don't know yeah family yeah. style dining like <laughs> right now you see you put out a fajita spread and people are just gonna be like what are you doing <laughs> okay just dig in folks <laughs> who wants gazpacho <laughs> yeah just dip it in the queso it's all good we're, we're all related here now if i want to have fajita mix i just check my drawers my 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 shelves in the pantry and see what i have there nope no fajita mix looks like it's another can of soup uh Okay, we're off to Barcelona, Circuit de Barcelona, Catalonia, for the Catalonian Grand Prix. Of course, this being Sainz's home Grand Prix, a little bit less homely for Daniel, but they're both racing for position um, for most of this race. Uh, they start off, we have a great overtake from Ricardo past Carlos Sainz on the first turn um, in Barcelona. Then they both end up pitting. Well, Ricardo pits and Sainz basically pits immediately behind him to sort of get fresh rubber on and they have a feeling that the Renaults have obviously not been doing great the later stages of the races so hopefully they'll be able to gobble up some positions or, or close that gap and he basically does that and closes up the gap pretty sharpish um, and then essentially does the exact same overtake around the outside of turn one a couple of laps later. Um, the same maneuver but actually was way ahead of Daniel before the apex in comparison to how he over was overtaken maybe uh, seven or eight laps prior to that. Um, Signs then overtakes a couple more, gets past Grosjean on turn one, or does he? They have a little bit of a touch. Grosjean ends up going around. I remember that bollard they put on the outside of turn one because of all the people um, missing that turn, mm-hmm. people like Roman Grosjean. Um, but on the next lap, he makes uh, light work of it uh, and ends up finishing eighth. Daniel for his effort, finishes 12th outside of the points. And that is that. Episode 3, Dogfight. Any other bits I missed out of that one? Uh, just at the end, uh, Ricardo, after his performance in Spain, says, I expected myself to get it quicker, like to get acclimated mm. to the car quicker. But uh, Cyril, for his part, says, we need to give him, meaning Daniel, a, a better car. So, Yeah, I, I, I do kind of wonder at that. Like... I think a lot of drivers, we, we talk about this sometimes, like the idea that you can sort of drive beyond the car a little bit, like you can find that limit. Mm. But what if you're just wrong about where the limit is? And like you're already there and it feels right, like the yeah. car might have more to give, but it just doesn't. And I think this is the other weird thing about having a bad car in some ways is like, I got to believe as a driver, it still feels like there should be something else there. It still feels like there's performance left to be unlocked. But there might just not be like if you if you sort of talk look at like the Williams as the quintessential example of like a car where nothing really worked. The thing that people talked about it uh, talked about with regard to the Williams was it was just so unpredictable. You just didn't know what it was going to do. You could never rely on it to behave in the same way. And I do like the thing that I can see being really shattering as a driver when you sort of find yourself stuck with an uncompetitive car is to have your instincts kind of start betraying you. Yeah, uh, it, like when like to to feel like okay, there's something I should be able to do, and I'm just not doing it. I must not be. I just must not be. Uh, you know, gelling with this car. And I think with the Renault, with the Renault, there was certainly evidence last year, at least, that there may not have been a lot to gel with. Um, and that seems like a really tough reality to accept, especially because it's all in our nature is to say I can control something and drivers are going to be the most control mm-hmm. freak of anyone. It's not everyone who can be a Fernando Alonso type figure and so utterly confident that you can just have shitty race after shitty race and say, 
yeah, a car sucks. Yeah. Like, it ain't me. It's just, it's just that <laughs> totally. car. Uh, yeah. So I like, and that can be so destructive as well that it's yeah. maybe that's just maybe people like Daniel don't want to be that person. It's not in their nature to, to be that defeatist. It might be, even if it's being a realist as well. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, so I guess final thoughts on the three episodes, gents. Uh, what did you make? What do you make of this? Um, I'm interested in uh, in Rob's take as somebody who was intru- who was watching them for the first time. Uh, what are your What are your thoughts for? What, where do you think this is going, Rob? What do you, What do you think is going to come up for the rest of the season? And and how, what do you think of it in terms of quality, having watched the first three episodes? I think, with the exception of the first episode, which I think was kind of a letdown, because again, they're doing so much table setting, I think the thing I find really interesting here is these two episodes that we see subsequently just feel much more like it's a more confident show about finding what the documentary through line is for their episodes. Like, Mm. Haas takes us through, that, that Boiling Point episode takes us through a huge amount of the season, and doesn't worry about, oh, are we keeping people up to speed and what's happening across the grid? Whereas I think Drive to Survive Season 1 fundamentally did want to take it semi-chronologically. They did want to have the season unfold in a way we could keep track of it. I think what I like about the second season is they're willing to just say, you know what, here's the narrative in this this episode. And if you want results, you can look up results. But for now, we're just going to stick with the Haas team. And then we're going to go back in time and we're going to ride with uh, Ricardo and Sainz as they go through. Uh, getting ready for the season. And I think it's a much better approach. It unlocks much more interesting and sympathetic storytelling. Uh, and I think that's probably been the biggest improvement between these two seasons. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And in fact, when you do that, and you may even go back to the same race again in a later episode, you have context for it already and you can explore a different side of it. Uh, yeah, I think that's a great observation, Rob. Um, I, yeah, I, I yeah. think you're right too. It's, it's, it gets off to kind of maybe a slow start, but that second episode is just so, uh, so rich. <laughs> yeah. So rich. Yeah. I, I agree with Drew and, and Rob, the, that's, that's a very astute observation. I think they carry that through the rest of the season as well. Um, and in a way it sort of marries, you know, perhaps not the experience of folks who are, watching this on Netflix, having not watched this season, but certainly the experience for anyone who's watched the F1 season is that we have covered a lot of this already, that we do know a lot of these beats. So we are covering the same ground. We're not watching it because we're uncovering everything for the first time. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're watching it because we're getting new context for it. So mm-hmm. if, if we're enjoying that, then why wouldn't people who... Then for the same reason, people who are watching... The first couple of episodes, you know, maybe at home with their dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should we should do like a yeah, we should all get dogs so we so the listeners don't know which one it is uh, whenever <laughs> whenever it's um, But uh, yeah, so why wouldn't they also value that experience of of sort of you know watching watching stuff again? Because it's uh, it's there's almost a weird joy from knowing what's happening outside of it and then getting that sort of second look at it. Um, you know, it's like the instant replay effect or something. Uh, I think that's a podcast. Well, that's my part of the podcast done anyway. Those are episodes one, two, three. Um, one through three, I meant to say, but one, two, three also works. Uh, we'll be back next week with the new stuff. But if you like this, of course, two weeks from now, we'll be checking out episodes three, four, and f- sorry, four, five, and six. So you have been warned. Drew, I'll hand it back to you. Yeah, uh, like Danny said, we are going to do a news-heavy and email-heavy podcast next week. So uh, if you've got some emails, uh, hit us up at shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or uh, the email form at f1.cool slash emails. 
um yeah let us really anything uh you want to know about or tell just a story you want to say maybe um some fun driver interactions you've had i know there are people yes. out there who've actually met f1 drivers maybe we can get rob to tell his story again um I think uh, I think that'd be really fun. But uh, yeah, if you've really anything Formula One related, it, how are you? How are you liking Marbula One? If you've been oh watching my gosh. that, we got to do a preseason uh, primer Force. on that one. There you go. Yeah, all the teams. Oh boy, it's just so much. Um, and you can uh, follow us on uh, Twitter. We're at Shift F One Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. Um, again, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so at Patreon.com/ShiftF One. Uh, anything else, fellas? Danny. No, I love this season. If, if if anyone hasn't watched Drive to Survive, then I think if this has tickled you at all, just go check it out. It's super bingeable. 10 episodes, 40 hour minutes a pop, or sometimes a little bit shorter. Um, super good. And I look forward to doing it uh, in a couple of weeks' time after we check in on all the news. And there actually is some news, so it should be good next week. Cool. Rob? Oh, I'm just sitting here trying to keep my dog from barking uh, through, the, <laughs> through the outro. <laughs> I'm doing great. All right. Well, uh, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Oh.